All right, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Philippians 1, verses 3 through 11. That's the section we're going to be covering tonight. We touched on it a little bit last week, uh, but we'll try to break the rest of it down this evening. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with the knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I don't know about you all, but I love the fact that Paul is the master of the run-on sentences. I mean, I, back in all my years of school, when they, I, they used to say, Jim, you got too many commas. But I mean, just, that's where I was breathing. You know, I would write and take a breath and put a comma and write, take a breath and put a comma and keep going. And, and you know how my brain's already wired that way. I, I've already thought of three more things I need to say. I love looking at what Paul does. I just love it how, let's be honest, you've got to take a breath after just reading that. And that's just a greeting. That's just a greeting. But you know what? Because of the fact that this isn't just Paul, this is the Spirit of God speaking through Paul as he's writing. As you know, the Scriptures are God-breathed. There is a lot here. That's one thing if you hopefully understood, if you haven't, may God continue to open your eyes to this. God, He has, He can say a lot with just a couple of words. Have you ever noticed that? Those who've ever learned how to hear God speak to you, and to recognize when he's talking. He doesn't go into long, eloquent speeches. It's usually very short and succinct. But buddy, in those few words, he is able to say quite a bit. What we're gonna see is in this section, there's a lot. We're gonna spend our whole hour here tonight just on these verses here. We've already touched a little bit, and I love what God did last week because we were able to look at the fact that how Paul said, I thank my God on every remembrance of you. And we talked a little bit about some of us, when we look back at our church experiences and history in different churches, there's a lot of tendency to think about the bad things and the splits and the falling aparts and these types of things. But Paul didn't look that way. He saw the people and the relationships that had been developed over all the years that continued on, even as God moved him from city to city and different parts of the country, the relationships that stayed. And that's why I just last week, I just really wanted to be in, used of God to encourage you as you look back at your Christian experience, don't get focused on the church grew or the church shrunk. Don't, don't get focused on that. That's, that's honestly been a, a lie of the enemy, unfortunately, over the last few years, the last 50 years or so, in this church growth movement and focusing on whether or not our church is growing or whether or not our church is shrinking. It's really about developing the relationships and the bonding together because God's going to do what he wants to do in and through us for his purposes and for those times. And there's something else that I want to bring out along that line from here. Look at what he says here. Look at verse 5, because of your partnership, he's thanking God for them, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. In other words, he said this, he said, you partnered with me in the gospel back then, and you're still partnering with me now. Does anybody have any idea how they were partnering with him in the gospel now? How? Yeah. And they were, you're going to see, they were supporting him financially, they were supporting him emotionally and physically. Well, jump over to the same book to chapter 4. 
Look at verses 10 through 20. He actually talks about it here at the end of the book. And when we get to that section in 2015, we'll break it down. But, uh, um, but look at verses 10 through 20 here. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And in that section, as he was just telling them, thank you for your support to me. Remember, he's in prison. He's in imprisonment at this time. He's in Rome. It's a kind of relaxed imprisonment. A Roman soldier most likely is chained to him at all times, yet he's able to rent a house for a couple of years. People are free to come and go. He's teaching and preaching as people just come, and the Bible studies are held in his house there while he's in prison. It's just an amazing time. But here he is renting a house, but he's got no way to make any money, if you will. But the churches around were supporting, especially this group here from Philippi. And I don't know if you all know this or not, but that's how our family, that's how we make our income, if you will. God provides. God's the one who meets our needs. But there are people that support our ministry. I get paid when I go speak, whatever church takes up a love offering or whatever. But there are others who give either monthly or every now and then they'll give a check to the ministry to help support our needs. But it's not just some that are here now. It's actually people that we have met in our churches all over. As I've had the privilege of being, uh, doing ministry in, in Florida in the, in, the, in the late 80s, and then New Orleans in the ni- early 90s, and then Chicago in the late 90s, and then back in Florida from the 2000s, and I've traveled around. God has blessed us with people in all these different areas we've been who send a check every now and then to support the ministry. And not only that, we do the same thing as our family. We've got people that we have, God has developed a close relationship with each other over the years that we've met all around in different places we've been able to serve. And there are people all around this world that we're supporting ourselves, sending checks. People that are in, in Zimbabwe, they might be going to Australia, but when they go to Australia, we're going to keep sending them checks there too. Why? Because these are people that God has bound us together and he's put on our hearts to support them and whatever it is that they're doing. There are people that are right now that we're supporting in South Dakota and there are other parts that are in Kenya and South Sudan and I'm not here to tell you all these places that we give, but let me just tell you, we not only receive it from people, God has shown us the blessing of being able to give it out as well. And these are people that we have met as we've gone around the world. And God's put us together and he's put it on our hearts to support them. Let me tell you something. Maybe some of the reasons why you were in a certain church just for a certain time is you've probably thought back, well, why did God even have me there? What if it's that he had you run into a certain family or some people that he has put you together that maybe you're supposed to be financially supporting them? Paul says, I thank you for the fact that you partnered with me in the gospel, not then, but then until now, all the way. We're still connected in ministry, even though we're in different parts of the globe. Isn't that a cool thing that we have nowadays? Oh, and also... We don't have to just do it financially, but there's prayer support. There's actually, you can go visit, and we actually 
A lot of the places we'll send mission teams to go or we'll go ourselves just to make a personal visit and say, how are you doing? Check on them. There's lots of things you can do. So as you look back, remember, we're not looking at back in our church life at, well, those were good years and bad years or the church grew or the church shrunk. Get away from all that. Think about the relationships that God is bonding together in those places that you've been. People that have stayed close to you over the years and will until Jesus comes back. And even after that, hopefully. But uh, then... But also pray about whether or not God has put you together, had you meet these folks for the purposes of maybe supporting them if they're in ministry. All right, you good? Let's take a look at the next thing. We touched last week on how Paul said in verse 6 that he's confident that he who began the good work in them, which is God, will complete it. And we touched on the eternal security, and you've heard me teach on that over and over and how the Bible is so clear. One of the most provable things in Scripture, that if you truly have been born again, if God has sealed the deal with His Spirit, you are held on to by God, not yourself. God holds on to you. Your salvation is secure. But I want to come at it from a different angle tonight for just a little bit. I want to show you another reason why Paul can be confident and you can be confident that if you are his, he will finish what he started. And it's tied to God's glory and God's passion for his glory. And God is so passionate for his glory, he will never break a promise that he has made because then he will no longer be able to be glorified. Well, and I'm going to show you an example of this. Go all the way back to me, oh, sorry, with me, to uh, um, Exodus 32. Go to Exodus chapter 32. You're going to see a situation here where God gets very upset with the nation of Israel. And Moses intercedes on their behalf. And Moses knows the heart of God. By the way, I don't know if you know this or not about prayer. Prayer is not you changing God's mind. Prayer is you lining up with the heart of God. And when you line up with the heart of God, your prayers will be answered. And in Exodus 32, you see in your, some of your Bibles, it has the little heading that says the golden calf. And that's not a good thing. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quick, quickly out of the way that I have commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. By the way, that's the words that Stephen used just as he's about to be stoned. It's a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord as God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? 
Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. I don't know if you caught this or not, but Moses' prayer was simply this. God, that wouldn't look good for you. That wouldn't look good for you. Everybody knows that you're the one who brought them out of Egypt and word has spread. You know full well when they got to Jericho, what did the, what did the people of Jericho say? We're, 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 we're kind of scared. Word has spread and we are scared to death about you people. He says, God, if you wipe them all out in your anger, it won't look good. It'll look like you weren't able to do what you said you were able to do. And God said, Moses, you know my heart. and I'm not going to do it. Boy, don't you understand? The Bible talks about the sternness and the mercy of God. How they're both there. That's why the only way we can be made right is through the cross. God's grace is not some kind of grandparent grace. When I talk about grandparent grace, I'm talking about, you remember when you were kids and you did certain things and you got a whooping? But then you give birth to kids and you bring them back to your same parents' house and those grandkids do the exact same thing you did and you're about to go, oh no, and then you, the, the parent, grandparents go, oh, it's okay, they're cute. And you're like, wait a minute, where was the, it's okay, it's cute when I was there. You know what I'm saying? The grandparent grace ignores it. God can't ignore sin. God cannot ignore sin. He must bring justice and he must bring consequences for sin. That's why the cross of Jesus Christ is so important, because it was there that God's mercy and his justice met together. And we are given salvation by his grace, but he did pour out his wrath on sin, did he not? But look at what Moses says here. He says, God, I know you and your passion for your glory. Don't do this because it won't look good for you. Now, Go to uh, Isaiah chapter 48. God says it himself in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 48, verses 9 through 11. God again speaking to the nation of Israel. And he says, for my name's sake, Isaiah 48, verse 9, for my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Why does God say to the nation of Israel they're not wiped out? Because of his glory. Because he's made a promise. He made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that that land would be given to them and their descendants forever as an eternal inheritance. And God says, I have wanted to wipe you out, and he had every reason I should have wiped you out. But why am I not wiping you out? Because of who I am and what I said, and because of my glory, I will not break my promise. If you go to Malachi chapter 3, you'll see God say it this way. I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O Israel, are not destroyed. Why does the nation of Israel still exist? Is it because they're better than everybody else? No, they're just as wicked as anybody. But it's because God has made a promise. And for his glory, he will keep it. Now, that's something good for us. Now, let me just say this real quick. For too long, we have tried to make the church the center of everything. If you really study your scriptures, you realize we Gentiles who have been grafted in 
we're only something that God's done for a time to make Israel jealous. He's, got a, he's made a plan through the nation of Israel, and the Bible says that he, they've experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in, and then those Israels that will be, the Israelites will, that are left will be saved. He's not done with the nation of Israel. We who are in the church, I'm just going to say this to you nicely as I can, get over yourself. It ain't about us. Amen. We have been grafted in by His mercy and His grace for a time being for His purposes of making His own people, the nation of Israel, jealous and we, that's why at the end of chapter 11, where Paul says over and over, is God done with Israel? No. Has he cast them off forever? No. Don't become proud, you Gentiles. Don't think you're better than them. Stop teaching replacement theology that the church has replaced Israel. Stop teaching that all the promises to the nation of Israel are now being fulfilled in the church. It ain't about you. This is for a time that he has done this. And that's why at the end of chapter 11, he says this, in view of God's mercy, in view of the fact that he didn't have to let us be a part of what he was doing in the nation of Israel. But for his purposes and his glory and his grace, he has allowed us, in view of his mercy, we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, which is our spiritual act of worship, our reasonable service. And so, folks, what I want you to hear is this. We have the same type of promises to us, though, too, don't we in the church? Are we okay because he made promises to Israel? Not really. But he's made promises to us. In the New Covenant, He's made promises to us, has He not? I'm not going to have you turn there for the sake of time because there's a lot more I want to get into tonight. But in Matthew chapter 16, when He says, Who do men say that I am? And they listed the different people. And He says, Well, well, you, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Johnson, because flesh and blood has not... <laughs> Peter, son, Simon, son of John. You know that. Peter, Simon... <laughs> Just want you to understand that he was a Johnson. I'm going to remind you of that over and over. <laughs> Blessed are you, Simon, son of John, Simon Johnson, because flesh and blood has not opened your eyes to this, but my father's opened your eyes. And what does God say next? And you are Peter. Listen closely. In the Greek, he says, you are Peter. And he says, you're Peter. And that's a masculine. And then he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the word rock there is in the feminine. So when Jesus says, upon this rock, I'll build my church, he's not building it on Peter. He's building it on what? Peter's profession of his faith. Upon this rock, I will build my church. And what's the rest of it? And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why can Paul be confident of this very thing that he who began the good work and then will finish it? Because God's made a promise, and God is passionate about His glory, and He will finish what He starts. Otherwise, He'd look bad. Oh, by the way, that's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that for those Christians who walk in continual disobedience, they don't lose their salvation, but some are sick, and some go home early. Isn't that what it says? In 1 Corinthians 11, they're talking about the Lord's Supper and how they were treating each other, by the way. For too many years, we had, were raised under that legalistic, you better consider the body and the blood as you're about to take the Lord's Supper. If you look in the context, he's saying here, look what you're doing. You're coming together and you're not even considering each other. Some are not waiting for others to eat together and some are getting drunk. This isn't the Lord's Supper that you guys are taking, partaking about. And when Jesus says, because you haven't considered the body of Christ, he wasn't talking about this piece of bread I'm holding in my hand and the cup that I'm holding. He's talking about this. Because of that, because you're profaning my name. Some, after me calling out to you over and over, I might have to make you sick to get your attention. How many of you, if you look back over your life, did God have to 
break a leg or make you bedridden or do something to get you back to where he knew you needed to be and you finally realized you needed to be. But the Bible also teaches that there is a sin unto death. And you can pray for God to, to reconcile and heal and whatever you want, except, as John says in 1 John, the sin that's unto death. Uh, he said, I ain't talking about that. If God's determined that it's a sin unto death, you can pray all you want. That person's still going home early. Now, do they lose their salvation? No. Because it ain't about how good we've been. It's all about him. But the question is, how does God feel about his glory? For Christians who are his children, who are profaning his name and continually walking in disobedience, he's going to be working to get you to line up with who he is so that he gets the glory. If he doesn't, he takes you home early. Now, again, is that us to determine? I mean, I could have a heart attack right now while I'm preaching. And everybody says, oh, Jim must have been a real bad sinner. Now, we have to be real careful about that, that we don't start trying to make judgments. That's not our call. But I want you to understand the wholeness of the scripture, though. How can we know that God will finish what he starts? Because he said it. Man, that's so freeing to me. Man, that's a wonderful thing. I hope you guys learn to relax a little bit. Because for too many of us have been taught this. You can't do anything to save yourself. That's got to be all done by God. Isn't that what we were taught? But as soon as we got saved, as soon as we trusted Christ as our Savior, our churches started handing us envelopes and said, okay, here are your envelopes and you need to make sure you make your payments. And here's our list of committees. We'd like you to serve on two or three. And here's our service times. And what have we been taught? We have been taught that we can't do anything to save ourselves, but once we're saved, you better, you better produce. You better, you better do. And how many of us, without realizing it, judge whether or not we're, well, I've asked churches this all around the country, on a scale of one to 10, how would God see you right now? And most churches go three, seven at the best, you know? They still don't get it. No. The fact that he's still working on me doesn't mean that he doesn't see me as a 10. I'm a 10 because of Christ. Amen. Now, he's still working on me, and he's still conforming into his image. But as you're about to see in a little bit here, uh, God has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That's right. There's that whole process, that whole conundrum. And that's what we're about to get into. Go back to Philippians. I know you didn't think we'd ever get back to Philippians, but go back to Philippians and take a look at what he says here. Actually, I'll just... Uh, just we're not going to take, we're not going to get to that passage in Hebrews. I'm just going to quote it to you again. That's Hebrews 10, verse 14. He says that God has made perfect forever those who are being made holy, those who are being sanctified. You have been made perfect, yet you're in the process of being sanctified. So understand that for right now. We'll try to deal with that in a little bit. Back in Philippians, though, Paul is thankful for them. They're partnering with him in the gospel then and now. And he's sure that God will finish what he starts. And now look what he goes on and says now. And look at verse 8. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with all knowledge and discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. I don't know if you caught this or not, but Paul says, let me share with you what I have been praying for you about. I thank God for y'all. When, when I think about you guys, it's just amazing to me. The, the neat, all my memories are good. And man, I just want to tell you, you guys have been so supportive. You've been so awesome and you're partnering in the gospel. And I'm sure God's going to finish what he started in, started in you. But here's my prayer for you. Did you catch that? Here's my prayer for you. You're awesome. You're not there yet. 
Oh, he's going to finish what he started. But you're not there yet. How does that make you feel? I'm, I'm just going to throw it open here for a second. How does that make you feel to hear God say, man, way to go, but you're not there yet? Every morning you get up. Relief? How does it, why does it make you feel relieved? I'm relieved I don't have to set a standard, which I used to do. Right. So, you know, I don't know it all, and that's okay, and he's going to take me to the next. So uh, you're saying then, Jim, that if you are beloved, you are pleasing because of Christ, yet you're not there yet, that should be, that's freeing. Exactly. It should be. That's exactly how it should be. I'll get right to you in a second here, Gene. But what I want you to understand is this. Too many of us have had this thought of, I should be here by now. God never, ever, and I'm going to show you scripturally just a little bit here. God never, ever, ever said, now that you're saved, you should be here. I'm going to remind you of something I've told you before. We've all stood in church and we sang this song, I surrender all. God says, I never asked you to surrender all. I asked you to be willing to surrender all. Actually, there's some things that are coming down the road that you're not even ready to deal with yet, and I ain't going to tell you about it. Why don't you just surrender what it is I'm asking you to surrender right now? Do you understand the difference? There's been this subconscious mindset that says we need to be all out for Jesus Christ. That sounds really good, makes some really good preaching, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we are to be hungering for more of him where we are. Let him work on you in the area that you are. AJ and I went and played golf this afternoon. AJ, want, he's, he's just learning how to play. He wants to be a really good golfer. It ain't going to happen all at once. So all we have to do, unfortunately, don't you run that in the next truth? How do you get better? You work on one area at a time. You work on one area at a time, and as you get that area under control, then we'll work on the next area, and so on. And you're going to see that scripturally. Go ahead, Gene. You were going to well, say something? Actually, all I wanted to say was just to reiterate the fact that whatever he wants you to do, and that this is where it becomes a relief, whatever he wants you to do, he's going to do it through you. So we don't even have to worry about how we're going to do that because he's promised. And that's where we will hopefully get by the end of this section here tonight, but that's true. I saw your hand back there. Were you going to throw something out as well? well I was just Yeah. Let me just tell you something. Relax. You're not there yet, and God didn't expect you to be there yet. Well, what is it he's working with you on right now? That's where you should be letting him have control. Satan doesn't want you to be even listening to God about shaping and molding and discipline and maturity. But if he can't stop you from listening to God in that area, then he'll come and say, well, then you've got to be all that all now. That's not what the Bible teaches. Let me show you what I'm talking about. He says, my prayer, look at verse 9, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with, all, with knowledge and all discernment. He prays that their love would abound more and more. He says, you guys have been awesome. You're supporting me. You're, 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 you're there financially. You're there emotionally and you know, all this. My prayer is that your love will increase. Good grief, Paul. What do you want? No, you still don't. You're hearing it wrong. You're hearing it wrong. That's actually a good thing. This, by the way, this word love is not the phileo, which means brotherly love. This is the word agape, which is God's love. And I'm going to ask you all a simple, honest question. How many of you all are able to love all the time with God's love? 
Exactly. No, I, I'd love to tell you that I'm that way. I'm not. Oh, there's some times that God takes over and I actually have the love of God and it comes through me and it's an amazing thing and surprises me just as much as it surprises everybody around me. But it doesn't happen all the time. Nor does the Bible say it should. Jump with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. Listen to what he says here in verse, verses uh, 3 through 11. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His, meaning God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. In other words, once we've been saved, the Spirit of God lives within us, and everything we need for life and godliness have, has already been given to us. Yet, is given us, pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He's granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. In other words, you have a divine nature now within you, and you're going to learn how to tap into it, if you will, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, those of you that have the Spirit, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and with virtue, knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with what? With love. Did you catch that? He says, look, you're saved. You got all of God in you already. Everything you need, you already got. You don't need a special service. You don't need a special second baptism. You, all is, everything you need for a divine nature that lives within you, to, you already have. Now, you need to understand he's made you some awesome promises so that you can partake of this divine nature. And I want you to put into effort, into action, a desire to add to your faith these things. And love is near the end of it. And on top of that, listen to how he keeps reading it. For, verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are what? Increasing. Does he expect you to have it all now? No. Stop letting people tell you you ought to be there. Are you heading toward maturity? The biblical definition of maturity is this. Not someone who's further along than somebody else. But someone who is hungering for more of Jesus in whatever level they are at. That person is spiritually mature according to the scriptures. Paul even says in Philippians chapter 3, and we'll get there in a little bit, when he says in Philippians 3, he says, I want to know Christ. Wait a minute, Paul. You've seen the third heaven. I mean, you, 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 you know stuff you're not even allowed to talk about. You were taught face to face by Jesus for three years in the desert of Arabia. You want to know Christ? Yeah, he says, yeah, I'm forgetting what's behind. I'm pressing on toward what's ahead. And then he says, if you disagree with me, the Lord will make sure that you understand these things. And then he said, all of you who are mature will take such of you. Did you catch that? Maturity is, I want to know him more. I have already been given salvation. I have been made perfect forever through Jesus Christ. Yet, I'm in the process of being conformed into his image. I want more of that. So, Lord, I'm not going to sing, I surrender all. I am going to sing, I will surrender what it is that you're speaking to me about right now. And that's where you will increase. Keep reading here in 2 Peter. He says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Make sure you've got the Spirit, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way they will, you'll be richly rewarded for your, sorry, for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
All along, the scripture has been saying, you have got it. Now, you got to learn how to tap into it. Learn how to let it come out from within you. Remember, we've already seen in Colossians 2, 6, in the same way in which you receive Jesus as Lord, walk in him. That is a daily process of, how do we say it earlier? Laying ourselves on the altar, allowing him having control. How are you doing? I'm getting better. I'm getting better. Am I a perfect example of Jesus Christ 24 hours a day? Ask my wife and kids. The answer is no. But my prayer is that if you ask them, is dad getting better? They will all be able to say, we have seen Jesus do a work in our dad and he's changing. One of the greatest, greatest evidences of Christ in you is the fact that you are becoming more and more and more like him as the years go by. Are there days where you cause people to question? I'm sure. Jesus himself was considered demon-possessed a couple of times, and he was perfect. Don't let the fact that someone misunderstands what you do or don't do make you think like you're a failure. But my question for you is this. Is your love, is this agape love, by the way, which would cause Jesus to say, for God, or to, for Jesus to say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. This, that, that's agape love, being able to lay your life down for those who don't even want you. Think about the thief on the cross. If you did a study of the Matthews Gospels, you'll see that at one time both thieves were making fun of Jesus. It says so in the Gospels. They both were mocking. Yet during that time on the cross, something happens, and one of the thieves changes his mind, and he stops the other guy, and he says, Look, don't you fear God? We are being paid rightly for what it is we've done. We're guilty. This guy between us hasn't done anything. Jesus... When you go into your kingdom, would you remember me? And Jesus looked at him and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. What did the guy do in order to be given eternal life? He, was, he believed. He believed. He wasn't baptized. He didn't get off the cross and help an old lady across the street and do a good work. There was nothing except faith. He had been mocking him. But he had a change of heart. And Jesus says, that's all it takes. Now, if he were to live longer, God would have given evidence through his life of the change. Like I said earlier, you can be a Christian and God will finish what he started. You're going to be in heaven. But the question is now, as we're going to get to in a little bit here, is there evidence? Is there evidence that you're growing in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is your faith being added on to, if you will, with virtue, knowledge? Self-control, steadfastness or perseverance, godliness, brotherly affection, and with love. All God wants to say, see is, is this increasing in your life? Jim? Yes, ma'am. Love there is the same love as Jesus said the two commandments. Yep. Grace, peace. Is love. You got it. Now, there's one other thing I want to point out before I look to show you the next thing he prayed. He said, my prayer is that your love would abound more and more with what? With knowledge and discernment. See, because there's a misunderstanding when it comes to love that everything's, everything's all good. No, no, no. Love needs to have knowledge and discernment. All right. Jesus, the Bible says, loved the rich young ruler. He had compassion and he loved him. Did Jesus just ignore his sin? No, let me give you a perfect example of this. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is the very end of Paul's life. The same guy that's writing this letter to the Philippians. 
in, in his first imprisonment in Rome. Now, during his second imprisonment in Rome, which was not a fun imprisonment, Paul realizes he's at the end of his life. He's been told by the Lord that it's time for him to go home. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, look at verses 14 through 18. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Does he say the Lord will repay them? What does he say? May it not be charged against them. That's interesting. Why does he say the Lord will repay Alexander the metalsmith, but these other people that did me wrong, and they weren't there to be at my defense, and they all deserted me, may it not be held against them. What's the difference? Family or not family. Believers and not believers. What does Jesus say? We're to be as wise as serpents and what? Harmless as doves. Doesn't the Bible say that we're not to cast our pearls before swine? There is a balance here. This love of God that he wants to demonstrate through us it needs to be done in such a way that we recognize it doesn't mean everything's good and everything's equal and we love everybody. And no, 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 no. This same Jesus who loved the world enough to die for the world was also bold enough to tell certain people, you're out of place. You're wrong. Your father is the devil. You reach out to them in love, but at the same time, does love does not ignore sin. You understand the difference? My prayer is that, and Paul's prayer is that your love would grow, and it wouldn't just become this wishy-washy, everything's good love, but your love would increase, increase with knowledge and discernment. Oh, but by the way, if your love is to be increasing and it's to be God's love, that means that if there are brothers and sisters that have done you wrong, you will be letting go of that grudge. Amen. You will say, may it not be held against them. Right. Exactly. That's what he does here with, with the, the metalsmith as well. He says, Lord's going to take care of that too. And, and we'll get to more of this when we get to later in chapter 1 when you see Paul's attitude. But I love how in verse 17, Paul here in 2 Timothy 4 says, The Lord stood by me though. Even though everybody else left me, I was fine. If you are still focused on people that did you wrong, oh, and I can promise you, if you've been in any church in America, you've been done wrong. <laughs> I can promise you. Take it from someone who was the pastor in a lot of these churches. They'll do you wrong. I was taught years and years ago, beware of the first people that greet you when you get off the train. Because in the ministry, typically, those first ones who show up and tell you how glad you're here, Pastor, or so excited about you coming, typically those first ones have an agenda. And if you don't go with their agenda, buddy, they'll be the first ones to turn on you. <laughs> okay, buy you a, plane, a train ticket. And, uh, but here's the thing. If your love is increasing with all knowledge and discernment, you won't have any grudges. You'll be able to say, yeah, that person did me wrong. And you know what? They even meant it for evil, but God's good and God's got it. So I'm just going to ask you an honest question. Let the Spirit of God take it for whenever he needs to take it. Everybody here that is his child, are you increasing in that type of love? Are there people that you need to let it go? Because God's got it. 
He was with you. And he's your provision. The Lord is my... You know what? It might even be a preacher. I can almost promise you that most of you might have been hurt by more than once by a preacher. Because they're just as human as you and I. For some reason, we think that people aren't. That's why I like to wear my sandals. Did you guys understand? I'm, I'm, just, I'm just Jim. Please don't call me reverend. I hate it. I don't even like to be called pastor. Just call me Jim. I don't call you parking lot attendant. I don't call you sound guy. I don't call you usher, Sunday school teacher, bus driver, nursery worker. We all have different roles in the body, but hopefully you can just say, that's Jim. And God's called him to preach and to teach the word, but that's Jim. Now, there's a second thing he prays. He prays also that they may approve what is excellent. Now, he actually explains later on in the same book in chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, what he means by this. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any what? Excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things and what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. And when he says my prayer is that you'll approve what is excellent, he said that you'll be focusing more on the things of God. Things that are right, things that are true. What does it say when in 1 Corinthians 13 about love? Love does not rejoice with evil, but rejoices with the truth. Folks, let me just tell you, if you are growing in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm not saying you're being more saved, you've already been saved, but if you're growing in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be a positive person. You will not be a negative person. You cannot stay a negative person if Christ is in you and he's doing his work to bring you to maturity. It's impossible. You can't. The Spirit of God will be lining you more and more up with the who Jesus is. And you will start to see things through God's eyes. Whatever is right, whatever is true, whatever is lovely, that's what you're going to focus on. That's what you're going to focus on. You think about James and John, and there were these people who were not one of their group, and they were out preaching about the kingdom, and they said, you want us to call fire down on? Do you want us to tell them? We told them to stop. What did Jesus say? If they're not against us, they're for us. Don't be worrying about that kind of stuff. Look also at 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look at verses 20 through 22. 2 Timothy 2, 20 through 22. It says, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So, Flee youthful passions or dishonorable things and pursue honorable things, righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And then he goes on to say, avoid getting into arguments and, and debates with Christians. It doesn't do any good, but just show your flesh. But here's what I want you to hear what he's saying. You want to be approving of what's excellent? Focus on what is pure, what is true, what is right. Put your energies there. Oh, but there's a lot of bad. You know what? I ain't going to worry about that kind of stuff. I'm going to focus on this. You see the difference? That doesn't mean you ignore sin. 
But when you do deal with sin, will your focus be to bring judgment, to bring wrath, or will your focus be to restore them gently, you who are spiritual, Galatians 6.1. You see your brother in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore them gently. The purpose is reconciliation. The purpose is healing. The purpose is a closer walk with Jesus Christ, not trying to push them away. Again, the focus is whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is true. Think on these things. Yeah, in a, in a house there are things for honorable use and dishonorable use. Here he says wooden clay, today we'd say porcelain. You don't want to be porcelain. Right? Don't we say that's potty talk? What are you focusing on? What are you focusing on? My prayer, Paul says, is that your love would not only abound with knowledge and insight and discernment, but also that you would approve what is excellent. Then he also says this, that they would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Now, remember, you have already been made holy. You are righteous because of Jesus' righteousness. Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21? You don't have to turn there for the sake of time. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, He who knew no sin, what? Became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Did Jesus have sin? Did he ever sin? What happened? Sin was put on him, right? He was given sin so that we might be what? Given the righteousness of God. We understand how Jesus never sinned. And he didn't get punished because of his sin. God put sin on him. He became sin. Right? Amen. Why can't you accept then that you're righteous? It ain't tied to how good you've been. Did Jesus sin? Are you righteous in your own ability? It was put on him, and he was made to be sin. Your righteousness has been imputed to you. It has been put on you. It has been given to you because of Jesus Christ. In the same way in which he had became sin, you have become righteous. Sooner you understand that, the easier it will be for you to stop listening to when Satan tries to condemn you. Because Romans 8.1 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, is God still working on us? Of course. Is he still trying to conform us into his image? Yes. Are, are we there yet? Not even close. Yet, I am righteous because of Jesus. It has nothing to do with whether or not I've had a good day or a good week. Amen. Then why does Paul say, if that is true, and it is, why does Paul say that his prayer is that they would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ? Yeah, because we're in this process, and this, we got 10 minutes. Y'all have to listen fast, and I pray the Spirit will help you get this. All right, listen closely. Paul is referring to the day of Christ when he comes to gather us and reward us, or lack of reward, for our obedience to what he's been trying to do in us between salvation and when he comes. All right, this is very important. A lot of Christians don't understand this. Like I've told you before, I grew up in a church where the old ladies always said, I'll be just glad to be happy to be in heaven. That's good enough for me. And I thought that was spiritual. That's not what the Bible teaches. Jesus said we're to store up treasure in heaven. Correct? We're not to be focusing on this life, but we're to be focused on the one to come. And oh, by the way, it's not just eternity, but it's also during that thousand year reign of Christ, we will be given responsibility to rule and reign with him. Think about what he says in Luke when he tells the parable of the talents in Luke's gospel. You have been faithful with little. You're now in charge of ten cities. 
There is a literal time period coming called the Millennial Kingdom where Jesus literally rules and reigns from Jerusalem. And if we were to take the time and study, I could show you how David himself, King David, will also be ruling and reigning from Jerusalem with Jesus. There will be a Jewish branch of government over the nation of Israel headed by the 12 tribes. Uh, sorry, the 12 apostles over the 12 tribes of Israel. There will be a Gentile branch of government over the rest of the world, and we will be given responsibilities in that according to how faithful we've been. And so listen to 2 Corinthians. Go with me. I want you to see it, mark it up, and spend some time just kind of praying over this, kind of, this passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. He says, so we're always of good courage. Now, last week I showed you the verses just prior to this and how God's prepared us for eternity and given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we're always of good courage. Verse 6, we know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yet we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to what? To please Him for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. What does Paul say? He says, everyone runs the race, but not everyone gets the prize. Run it and the desire to get the prize. It's not something that God wants us to say, I'm just glad I'm going to heaven. That's good enough with me. That's not what the Bible teaches. And when he comes, he says his reward is with him. That's why in the parable of the talents, we see that one was given five and he was faithful to do what God had given him to do. And it turned into ten. The master comes and says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been rewarded. You're going to be rewarded. The one who had been given two, it turned into four. Does the master say, why couldn't you be like the one who did ten? No, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful what I gave you to do. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You're going to be rewarded as well. Folks, don't worry about whether or not you're doing as much as anybody else or if people, more people are doing more than you or you're not getting. Are you doing what it is that he's put on your heart to do? That's why Jesus said, come unto me, you're weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Very next thing he says is take my yoke. Rest is not getting a break. Rest is doing what it is he's called you and gifted you to do. And don't worry about whether or not you're a five or two or a one. Just are you being faithful to do what it is he's put on your heart to do? Oh, by the way, that's not the nominating committee's job to tell you what that is. It's not the personnel committee's job to tell you what your job description is. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who has called you and gifted you, and he has a plan for your life. And when you find that, you will understand his rest as you let him do it through you. But understand, when he comes, it will be a time of reckoning. You're already going to heaven. That's been already given to you. It's taken care of. But there's going to be a judgment seat of Christ for believers, listen, prior to the millennial kingdom, because how is he going to determine who is what responsibilities in the millennial kingdom? Further evidence of the fact that the church is taken away prior to the tribulation period. During that time period, we get our rewards and our responsibilities. And then when we come back with him as he sets up his kingdom, it's already all in place. But do you understand that Paul says, we therefore make it our goal to please him? Oh, we'd love to be away from this body and with the Lord. That'd be great with me. And if I asked you all, we take a vote. I don't think anybody would hear say, no, nah, I'd rather stay. No. But do you understand that when he comes, he's coming and he's going to hold you accountable? Well, let me give you another example. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verses 11 through 15. 
Actually, let me go back to verse 10. 1 Corinthians 3, we'll start in verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, the responsibility that I was given, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. That's how this all begins. Faith in Christ. That's the foundation. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, porcelain, each one will, one's work will become manifest for the day, this is the day that Paul was praying that they would be ready and blameless for, the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you see what he's saying? This isn't determining whether or not you're getting into heaven. This is determining your reward for eternity during the millennial kingdom and forever and ever. We don't know the specifics of how that plays out, but I can tell you this much. The Bible says there's such a thing. And my focus now is not only that my love would increase, but that when that time comes, the Lord says, Jim, I gave you this to do and this to do and this to do, and you did it. And I can look you in the eye right now, and I can honestly tell you, I believe I'm doing what God's called me to do all over this country, and I'm loving it. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Don't let anybody tell you what you should be doing. But you should be doing. What is it? If it's driving people around in a bus, drive people around in a bus by the grace of God. Beware of falling into that mindset of we should have more people helping me. No, 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 no. If you're doing it because the Lord's told you to do it, you don't even care if no one helps. Is your focus on the Lord and what he's called you to do and my prayer is that you will be found blameless and pure at that day. He's not determining whether or not you get into heaven, but on that day and he comes and he rewards us for faith. Some of you have been blessed to be able to write checks for people all over the country who are in ministry. Are you doing that? Are you enjoying it? Do it. Some of you are intercessory prayer warriors. Thank God for the people who literally pray. A lot of us say we pray, but these people actually pray. Thank God for you. Keep doing it. Don't let anybody say, well, my, what, I, what God's called me to do is not real noticeable. So what? God notices. Are you doing what it is he's called you to do? Are you taking care of the ladies that he's told you to take care of? Keep doing it. Whatever it is that he's called you to do, do it. Oh, I used to be one of those ones that said it has to affect the local church. Not always. Actually, some of our greatest church members are the ones who aren't even doing stuff for the local church. They're doing stuff all over the kingdom. What is it he's called you to do? Go ahead and do that. That's what Paul says, that you'll be blameless on that day. And in the time that we have left, <laughs> look at the rest of this section here. Look at, verse, uh, look at verse 10. So you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. I put in my notes here, oh, um, you need Jesus to perform the sanctifying process too. When I say to you, go do what it is he's called you to do, I hope you're hearing, do it by God's grace. Do it by, in the strength that God provides. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, Paul puts it this way. He says, to this end I labor and I struggle with all God's might which so powerfully works through me. Are you doing what he's called you to do by his power? A lot of you may not have any idea what had gone on in my family today.
So my kids will tell you, it has been busy. Part of it is, I got to play golf today with my son between preaching at Men in Motion at lunch and literally went straight from the preaching and played golf, got home just in time. I didn't take a shower. I'll tell you right now, I, I, I bathed myself in our pool. I'm going to be honest with you, there wasn't time. I stripped down, put on a bathing suit, did a couple of dunks, thought that I was done sweating, washed most of the sweat off, sat down, ate my dinner, put on my clothes, and my kids will tell you, I slept in the back of the van from our house to here while AJ drove. We lived three minutes away, but it was a, it was a power nap. Elise even said when we pulled in, did you enjoy your power nap? And I did sleep. That tired, and I could, even with AJ, who's gonna, on a learner's permit, but you know what, Lord, if we go, we go. You know what, I didn't care. But do you know at the beginning of this time, I prayed, Lord, I need a fresh anointing. And you couldn't tell. I can't tell how tired I am because when he takes over, you're able to do what he's asked you to do. And it's not a burden. It's a joy. Oh, when we're done here, I'm sleeping. <laughs> but I haven't been tired during this time. You need Jesus to do this. Filled with the fruit or the evidence of righteousness that comes through who? Through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. I'm going to show, with you, show you just two passages and we'll close. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. Look at what Paul says here. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. Do you see that? You can't love each other more. Even if you're saved, you can't do it apart from Jesus doing it through you. Oh, but he can, and he will, and he's made us these wonderful promises so that we may partake of the divine nature and escape the flesh. May he make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, and so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is the verses no one ever told us. They always said you need to do better. You need to do more. You need to work harder. Have you done enough for Jesus? And we sang the song, I am satisfied with Jesus. But the question comes to me when I think of Calvary, is my master satisfied with me? Have I done enough? And I say to you, you can't. Just like you can't save yourself you need to receive it by faith and believe that God will do what he said he would do and you receive it by faith. You can't live the Christian life, but he will do it through you if you'll believe. And you'll just do what he's asked you to do by faith. Faith demonstrated by obedience and his spirit takes over and you experience the light burden and the easy yoke. Jump over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That's the process we're in right now. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this next verse. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Paul says, I ain't praying something for you that's impossible. 
You guys are doing awesome, and I thank God for you. All my memories are awesome. You partnered with me in the gospel then. You're still partnering with me now. Man, this is awesome. I'm so sure that what God did in you is so real, I'm confident that he'll finish it because whatever he starts, he finishes for his glory. Here's my prayer. My prayer is that your love will increase more and more with all knowledge and discernment. Oh, and not only that, that you'll be blameless at the, his coming. Oh, and that you also realize that he's the one who's going to do it through you. Let's pray together. Father, again, thank you so much for this chance to come and study your word. And Lord, if we take the time to let you speak, even just a section of an introduction becomes life-changing as we let the truth of your word take root in our hearts. Lord, in the same way in which we believed you would save us and we walked an aisle or prayed a prayer or declared we trust or, or were baptized, whatever it is we did to demonstrate that we believed what you said you would do, you would do. Lord, may we do that now. After salvation, on a daily basis, may we believe that you will do what you said you would do and that you would do through us what you desire, that you'll show us what it is and we'll trust you and not worry if it doesn't, you don't show us today or tomorrow, but you will, believing that you will do it. Lord, may we rest in you and enjoy the fact that you love us and you already see us as righteousness. You've already given us righteousness. Now we're in the process of you making the world see it. And that's going to happen over time as we learn to yield to your spirit within us and partake of this divine nature that already exists. Some days we'll do better, some days we'll do worse, but you know that and your mercies are new every morning. And so, Lord, my prayer is that just as much as we pray that people would trust you as their Savior, my prayer is that people would trust you as their Lord. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming.